It's good to be here with you guys. Uh, one of the best things about not being on a regular rotation on the pulpit is that I get to talk about whatever I want to talk about. Um, and so today I decided I want to talk about one of my favorite things in worship and in ministry, and it's worship. I love worship. Um, and a few interesting personal things about me. I've had the privilege of having the most awkward encounters with really famous Christian people. Like, I don't know anyone else who has, like, awkward stories like I do. Um, just a quick story. I remember Pastor Q took me out to Bethel Church once in Redding, California, um, and I was super excited. I was, like, I think I was, like, 23, 24 years old. So I was, like, really excited to be at Bethel. Like, if you don't know Bethel, they're, like, a really mega worship house in the faith. And so um, I was super excited. The first worship session I went to, I went all the way to the front, and I was like starstruck. Like they had all of their worship equipment and all the lighting on stage. And I remember just standing there, like swaying side to side, like, I can't believe I'm here. Like, this is amazing. And this is where it got really awkward. Um, I was thinking, like, I got there as usual. I'm like the earliest one. And so I was up there and I was standing there, like swaying side to side for like 15 minutes. And I don't know why it occurred to me where I was like, should I get my Bible? I'm in worship. Maybe I should get my Bible. And I've already been there for 15 minutes. So there are like people like coming behind me. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, I think I need to get my Bible. So I'm thinking about this for like two minutes. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to get my Bible. But I don't want to lose my spot. So I'm going to be really quick. So I turn around really fast. And I like start booking to get my Bible. And I hit someone. And the person falls forward. And everyone's like, oh, my God. And they're like catching him. And I'm like, oh, shoot. Like he looks old, too. So I was like, I hope I didn't hurt the guy. And so I'm like bending over, like saying like, oh, like, are you okay? I'm so sorry. And I, he turns around and it's Bill Johnson. I almost injured Bill Johnson at his own church, okay? That is one of several awkward encounters. I don't think he remembers me. If he does, I, I'm terribly sorry, Bill. If you ever listen to this on the sermon, I'm sorry. Um, There's another time where I was super... Uh, just charged up from Pastor Shin's message. Um, Pastor Shin used to do a lot of like seminars and teachings at Hope Church back in College Park. And one of the things, I'll never forget this, is he says like the anointing is transferable, right? And he talks about how like he uh, would go to these like huge revival gatherings and conferences and he would like go up and he would say like, I believe I can get that person's anointing by just shaking his hand. And he would do it like multiple times and he would say like, you know, the anointing is transferable. transferable. And so I'm super charged up. I'm like, I need to get someone's anointing. And so I go to a conference in Baltimore called Voice of the Apostles and Kim Walker and Jesus Culture are leading worship. I can feel you guys going like, oh, this is not going to be good. But they finished leading like the most amazing worship set and I'm like, oh, that was awesome. So I'm on my way to the bathroom you know, like before the sermon starts, like I'm going to get myself refreshed and ready. And for whatever reason, it's like a multi-thousand dollar venue. And like there's only like two bathrooms. So there's like a men's line and a woman's line. And in the woman's line is Kim Walker. And so she looks like she has to use the bathroom. But I'm like, I need her anointing. <laughs> like I'm going to get the transference of anointing. Like I believe it and I'm going to get it. So I walked up to Kim Walker and I stretched out my hand. I was like, hi, Kim Walker. Thank you for leading worship. And she's like, uh, you're welcome. And she like kind of grabs my hand. 
I'm like, I got it. <laughs> and so that is two of several other super awkward encounters with really famous Christian people. That's the story of my life. But um, anyways, I'm really excited to share about worship. It's a super important thing to me. Um, about five, six years ago, I was leading worship at Grace Retreat, and it really occurred to me. Um, there was one time where we were sharing testimonies, and the youth group was coming up. They were sharing testimonies about how they're getting healed, how they're getting touched. And I remember this um, because Pastor Carlos looked at us, and after like every three or four testimonies, he would make us sing like a chorus, like when I think about the Lord. And so we would sing it, and like after like the fourth time, I'm like, I'm so sick of this song. But then I'm thinking in my head, and like the Spirit of God like spoke to me like at that moment, and I felt like God said this, the worship songs that we're singing, whoever went through what they had to go through to birth that song is their breakthrough, and I'm doing something significant in your midst. Where is your new song? That struck me and pierced me because I believe this, and I believe specifically for Hope Church because Hope Church has always been like the older brother to me. Like, I learned so much from you guys, and I honor Hope Church. It's still really nerve-wracking for me to come and even speak to you guys. But I believe this, that what God is doing in Hope Church is significant. Like, there are things happening in Maryland as a result of what you guys are doing in Hope Church. And I, and I really feel strongly about this. Where is the new song? Where is the response in worship to what God is doing in our midst? And so from that moment, I decided, I was like, okay, we need to find a way to write new songs. Um, and Hannah, my wife, has been writing really good songs. I'm putting her on blast. But uh, we've been really trying to write new songs to say, God, this is what you're doing, and it's super significant. I'm going to tie into this a little bit more, but essentially my... Uh, Entire message is uh, let the new songs arise, let worship arise in our midst. If you have your Bibles, it's Isaiah 6, where you can just look on the screen with me. I'm going to read through it. We're going to pause a little bit, and I'm going to dive really deep into worship. There are several main points, which I'll recap in the end, but essentially it's all the same thing. Worship is super important. But Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, and I highlighted King Uzziah died because that's actually really important. King Uzziah is not just some other king. Like, in that period of time, there was a history of really, really bad kings coming up. They might be good for a second, and they would mess up, and they would fall. And so there was a history and a pattern of kings going up and coming down. And King Uzziah was one of the kings that was actually pretty good. Like, he was a decent king in Israel. He did mess up and have his own mistakes, but he was a good king. Like Israel loved King Uzziah. So when he died and, King, uh, and Isaiah is writing about this, it's not from a place of everything is happy, go lucky, and rainbows and unicorns. They were actually really distraught. Like King Uzziah died. King Uzziah died, and he was a good king. And so this is where we're picking up. And Isaiah said, during this time, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I'm going to pause there real quick. The whole earth, the same earth that we're on right now, is filled with his glory. Like this earth, not earth too 
as in sci-fi things. Like, I love the Flash. They always talk about different Earths and stuff like that. But this Earth is filled with his glory. And the reason why I highlight this is super important. Let's keep going. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people who have unclean lips, for my lips or I'm sorry, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts. Let's keep going. Then one seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, super hot, that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth, saying, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And I heard a voice, the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. And this is his commission, right? So uh, I highlighted the next part. But before I highlighted that next part, I also highlighted the fact that the earth was filled with his glory, right? If it's filled with his glory, it shouldn't be too difficult to see God. Am I correct? Like anything that big, like... You see an elephant, and I'm sure like 50 different people in that same vicinity can see the elephant. And yet, this is what God says, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Basically saying this, God's glory fills the earth, and yet Isaiah's commission was to help people see what's right in front of them. Does that make sense? In response to that, Isaiah worshiped. Isaiah's worship was in response to the fact that he saw the glory of God that was already sitting right in front of him. Does that make sense? And so uh, we are called to be people who see God. True worship comes from a place of seeing him, and he's not very hard to find. He's not very difficult. As a matter of fact, he wants you to see him more than we want to see him. That's how good he is. But a common misconception that I've seen in the church is uh, the differences between two witnesses. Okay? There's the expert witness, who is the nerd, the PhD, the expert on any kind of case. So uh, if there's a murder trial going on and there's someone who got shot, the expert witness could be in South America at the time. And someone in Baltimore, I don't know why I said Baltimore, but Baltimore, they'll fly them out to Baltimore, and this guy who is an expert witness will take a look at the crime scene, will see the angles of the bullets, will kind of gather all the pieces of evidence, get a fingerprint if they can, like figure out like, oh, this dirt must have come from somewhere in Rockville because these trees grow there. Like those are the kinds of things that the expert witness knows, right? And so they get called to the stand to present what they know as a witness based on their expertise. But then there's a second witness who gets called up to stand, right? That's the eyewitness. The eyewitness just basically says, yeah, I was there. I saw that guy shoot that guy. That's an eyewitness. The reason why I bring that up is because I think the majority of the church has a subconscious mentality where they think they're called to be expert witnesses, right? And in... A way, I, I could be wrong, but in a way, I think that when people think they're called to be expert witnesses, they don't really know how to worship because they're still trying to figure them out, right? But Isaiah and God says this, you are called to be eyewitnesses. You worship God because you've seen him. 
and you worship like King David worshiped, like totally gone, almost to the point where his wife called him a lunatic because he's seen God. Those are the people that we're called to be. Hope Church, we are not called to be expert witnesses. We're called to be people who've seen him with our own eyes and as a result, worship wholeheartedly. Amen? And this is my challenge to you, and I'm not trying to be like this super Christianese person, but what I'm saying is this. If worship to you has become a routine activity where your heart doesn't come alive, I think it's time to reevaluate when was the last time you saw him. When was the last time you've seen him where your worship came alive, where you couldn't help but declare who he is because you've seen him? My challenge is this. If you haven't been able to come alive in worship, maybe you need to see him a little bit more. Maybe you need to ask God to show you who he is, right? And I I know, and we'll get into it, that sometimes we're called to sing our way into the truth, right? Sing and worship even when we don't see him, even when we don't feel him. Yes, but he wants us to see him. Amen? And so we just talked about this. True encounter leads to pure worship. And this is where um, I started thinking about it, and I realized we really need to sing our own worship songs. Like, we really need to, if we're singing someone else's worship songs, like, it needs to really be our own. Like, it needs to be the testimony in our own heart. Because Exodus chapter 14, verse 30 through 31 Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. And the very next verse, then Moses and the people of Israel sang a new song to the Lord. There are different translations that say that's a new song. Another example is Hannah in the Bible where she couldn't have a baby. (laughs) She couldn't carry it. And so when God finally honored her request for a child, the first thing she did was sing a new song to the Lord. A new song comes out when God does something powerful in our midst. It's almost to be a reflex for us. Amen? And here's the other thing. Um, I mentioned it not too long ago, but we are called to also sing our way into the truth. Like worship ushers in a new day for us. A new day and a new encounter ushers our worship, but our worship also ushers in a new day. Okay? The word song in Hebrew, like I think we think a song as like a two and a half minute thing, right? Or like a five minute thing if it's a really good song or if it's a song if it has good beat, right? And then the bass drops, right? But a song, actually in Hebrew, it's more like an advertisement. You're like declaring how good God's been, right? And so check this out. Acts 16, verse 25 through 28. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs, hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chain came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prisoner's doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. There's something in the Bible, in the scriptures, where God commands us to worship because it changes things. It changes things. It changes physical things, it changes spiritual things, but worship 
ushers in a new day. It changes things around us, right? And here's the thing. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So when we worship and we're declaring the goodness of God, it changes things, like changes. And uh, I did some research. I'm kind of nerdy. You guys might not know that about me, but I just love like looking into science things. Hannah makes fun of me um, because there was one time where she was studying, and she, I like was sitting next to her, and I had my headphones in, and she thought I was like studying with her, and she looked, and I was watching a cartoon, but she didn't have the context. I was actually watching like TED talks for kids, so I was trying to study up on science and stuff like that. But I'm kind of a nerd, and this guy, his name is Dr. Masuro Emoto, I think I could be wrong, but that's how I read it. And he's really famous, um, not as famous as like Bill Nye the Science Guy or something like that, but the reason why he is known is for his research on water molecules. Okay? And he discovered this. He did this research where he took different compartments of water and decided to label it with a different word and speak that word into that container of water to see if it would change anything. And sure enough, it changed. So check this out. The first time I re read about this, I needed to get verification, because this is insane to me. So this water container had a label, love and gratitude. So he would walk up to the water and say, I love you, or thank you, water. And he did this for X amount of days, extended, okay? And that's when he took a sample of it and he looked under the microscope, that's the water figure that was formed. In contrast, this was labeled, you disgust me. Same water, just labeled differently, and for X amount of days, said the same thing. You disgust me. You disgust me. You disgust me. And this is what the water looked like under the molecule. I'm sorry, under the microscope. Crazy. Let's keep going. Eternal. This was the label over the eternal one. So every time he would come and say eternal or something like that, I don't really know. But this is the shape that was made. This was peace. Every time he went to the water to release peace, this was the water molecule that was, fit, that was created from it. This was evil. <laughs> so this label had evil on it, and this is the shape of the water molecule as a result. This one is a symphony from Mozart, number 40. So that, that water container was listening to Mozart for X amount of days, and that's the water shape that was formed. And that's the water that was formed from heavy metal music. <laughs> Fascinating, isn't it? He did this one step further, and he took rice, like cooked rice, and put them into three containers. One he showered with love, which is the white one. The one in the middle he showered with hatred. And check this out. The one on the other side, nothing. It was just ignored. So even the absence of telling the water molecules, what they are and how awesome they are, they rot. <laughs> you guys know how much of our body is made out of water? 60%. Our bodies are made up of 60% water. Isn't that crazy? And so when God says there's power of life and death in your tongue, it wasn't just a good saying. 
Jesus wasn't just saying, this is how we're supposed to live. Jesus was actually saying, you can literally cause life and cause death based on what you speak. Isn't that crazy? And so I used to lead a youth group in Virginia. I used to have a no-tolerance policy. They broke it all the time. But my no-tolerance policy was say only nice things to each other. And I even told them this sermon, but they couldn't help but make fun of each other. It was crazy. It drove me bonkers. Youth kids, be nice to one another, okay? Our bodies are made up of 60% water. And so when we release worship, when we declare the praises of God and declare thanksgiving unto God, it first changes us, and then it changes everything around you, and it ushers in a new day. Amen? So the first point was this. In Isaiah, we saw that worship begins with encounter, discovering who God is, and God is really all around us, right? It begins with encountering him and seeing who he is and singing it back to him, saying, God, you're so good. You are so good. I'm going to take this from Andy Bird from YWAM because I can never forget about this. He gave this illustration and I could never get out of, out of my head. He said, imagine what it's like in heaven where they're worshiping God 24-7 for like hundreds of millions of years. Like, what do you think they're seeing? And he says it like this. God is probably like on his throne, just like facing in one direction. And then the angels have seen this side of God's face and they're like, you're so holy. You're so good. And then God, after like tens of thousands of years, decides to go, check this out. And then they see a new side of his face, and the angels are done for another hundreds of thousands of years. They're like, we've never seen that about you. And they're undone for another million years because they've seen a new face. And after that, God goes, you haven't seen nothing yet. Check this out. Boop. And then they're done again. They're done again. That's what I think heaven is going to be like. It begins with encounter. It begins with seeing him for who he really is. Not what we've thought him to be. Not like uh, how we've kind of uh, projected our image of our parents to God, but no, seeing him for who he truly is will cause us to worship in response. Okay? My next main point is this. Worship is how we fight our battles. Just like we saw in the prison cell with Paul and Silas, like they were in chains, they were in prison, and they fought their battle by simply singing hymns to God. Okay? Real quick, uh, some of you guys may be wondering, like, well, if God hasn't shown up to me, like, can I really sing? And how do I fight my battles if God hasn't, like, shown me who he is? Um, I thought this was really interesting. You guys know the song Yes and Amen by House Fires? All your promises are yes and amen. I love that song. And so I was like, oh, I want to know, like, what are the promises for my life? And so, like, we were at home one day, and I decided to tell my wife, like, I'm going to look up promises because I just want to know what it means. So I run to the dictionary, and I look at promises, and there's one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Here's what I found. The Old Testament, when the word promise is used, always carried a future connotation, pointing to a promise that will be fulfilled. In the New Testament, the word promise, a majority of the time, almost every single time, not every time, but almost every single time, the word promise was pointing to the past of what God had already fulfilled. Huh. I don't know if you guys got that, so let me say it again. 
In the Old Testament, the word promise, every time it's used, it's pointing to the future. The New Testament word promise carries a past tense connotation pointing to the past, which means Christ is our promise. And so if you are stuck and you're like, I don't know how to worship God, like I haven't seen him in years, like how do I worship God in the midst of seeing absolutely nothing, my advice to you is Christ. He has fulfilled the promise. He has paid for it all. The promise that was fulfilled in Christ Emmanuel, God with us, that promise that he will be with us no matter where we go and that we will have eternal life with him is a promise that we can hold on to and sing praises to God. I guarantee you, Paul and Silas were probably thinking about that promise when they were singing hymns. That was probably what they were clinging on to, the hope that they already had in Christ, not the hope that's coming. Amen? Worship ushers in a new day. We talked about how worship and our language and our voice matters and it changes things. Worship ushers in a new day. And worship requires prophetic understanding. So the past three points, we talked about general worship, like the body of Christ, hope church, we are called to worship, right? Number four is a little bit more on the side of worship requires prophetic understanding. So it does have a little bit to do with leadership, right? And so I want to talk to uh, worship leaders specifically, and uh, people on the worship team as well, and for really anyone else. This is what First Chronicles 15.22 says. In NIV and King James Version, I looked up at a lot of different versions, and they both said skillful. But I'm going to read from the King James Version. Kenaniah, leader of the Levites. I don't know if I said that right, but the leader of the Levites was instructor in charge of music. Essentially, he was the worship leader because he was skillful. Now, I highlighted the word skillful because skillful doesn't mean what we think it means. When we think of skillful, it just means, oh, that guy is super good at guitar. Or, man, that girl can sing. Or, that guy is super good at drums, therefore he's the worship leader. The word skillful is bin, which is in Hebrew, which means they are separated mentally or distinguished to be able to understand. The word skillful means that you understand and you are able to deal wisely, to consider, to pay attention to, to regard, to notice, to discern, to perceive, and to inquire the things of God. Worship is a big deal to God, so much so that King David had a full-time worship band that would sing to God 24-7, day and night, night and day. And they had the most grace to increase their kingdom as a result. And so when God calls us to worship, it's not just Let's sing five-minute songs and sing four of them, and let's clap the first two songs, and then the next two songs, let's lift our hands. There's more to that. There's more to that. About 10 years ago, I know I'm really, I'm getting juiced up. I love this. But about 10 years ago, Bob Jones, a very prophetic person, went over to Mike Bickle. Do you guys know who Mike Bickle is? He leads a ministry called IHOP which essentially there's been like day and night, 24-7 worship and prayer going on for I think over a decade at this point, like nonstop, okay? And this is the word that Bob Jones gave to Mike Bickle. He said this, God speaking through Bob Jones said, I'm going to change the expression of Christianity in one generation. And Bob Jones said to confirm it, there will be these signs and miracles like snow falling in the middle of June 
And Mike Bickle, who was a very heady person, did not believe it. And then Snow came, and Bob Jones would call him and say, I told you so. And he also prophesied that he, we would see people worshiping through a small device that looks like a rectangle, which we all know now as a phone. <laughs> That's our phones. Worship is that important to God. Worship is that important to God. I um, had my first, well, I've always known this. Like, I've always believed that worship was important. But one of my first moments where my jaw dropped because worship was so important was um, I went to uh, this place called K Street in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. If you guys know a little bit about, um, like, the Black Panthers and the war that they had with each other, K Street was literally the intersecting street. Okay? So there's been a history of violence with different gangs and different protests going on. Okay? I went there because I met a guy named Lenny Hernandez. I don't know how God led me to this guy, but it was through like different missions people. And I remember meeting this guy, and he would talk to me, and like we would talk, and we'd be like, yeah, I used to know DMX and J-Lo and all these people. I was like, what? How did you know all these people? And apparently, he used to be the one who sold drugs to them. <laughs> so I was like, oh, Okay, this is interesting. But we started talking and hanging out. And he was like, hey, why don't you bring your team? Uh, he told that to my team leaders. And he said, why don't you bring your team? And we'll do missions work together and things like that. We'll spend the week together. I was like, okay, so we're going to be in the hood. And he was like, yeah, we'll be in the hood. I was like, is this safe? <laughs> and so we go there. And apparently they said this. He said, if you leave your Bible on your van, no one will touch your car because everyone will know that you're with me. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But then he started explaining that there were a lot of pastors that would show up when there was a shooting, and they would leave as soon as the news anchors were gone. And so for a year and a half, God told him, you are not to preach. You are not called to do anything other than serve your community. And he did that for about a year and a year and a half, and they started to trust him a little bit more. Um, so when we came in, one of the things that they really wanted from us was to sing worship. I was like, man, I'm so tired of singing. Like, that's all they had me do there. I was, like, so sick of, like, my fingers were hurting. Like, my voice was getting scratchy all the time. And they're like, we want you guys to sing worship. And we're like, okay. And so we're sitting there. We start singing worship. The second night we're there, there's a shooting. And someone dies on the middle of the street. Like, literally, right across the street from us, there's a death. And so we gather together. We, he gets some neighborhood kids, and he goes, let's worship. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, like, worship again? Like, aren't we supposed to bring flowers or something? And so we're worshiping. Um, and there's this one kid there. He looked like he had ADHD. Like, he was not into it at all. And I remember singing. And I remember Lenny, like, crying. And I was like, okay, at least Lenny's getting touched, right? Like, somebody's got to be blessed from this. I'm glad Lenny's getting blessed. And so he's crying, and then we pray, we close it up. Two days later, someone else gets shot. And so that's the kind of place we were living in. And after the first night, we were like, okay, no one leaves the house after 9 p.m., maybe even 8 p.m. And so I remember even driving out of that neighborhood, there were, like, people doing drugs, selling drugs, gambling on the sidewalk. No big deal. And I remember Lenny also telling me, like, he would take some of these kids, and he would take them, and he would be like, hey, you want to go see Harvard? Because Harvard and Yale were right next to there. 
He was like, hey, let me take you to Harvard or Yale. And the kids would say things like, I don't think we're allowed to be there. And Lenny would be like, well, why not? And it's ingrained in their minds, like they're not supposed to have a higher education. And so he was like, when we do worship, he was championing us. He was saying, worship is going to change things. So we leave. Uh, four or five months later, I'm like, I wonder how Lenny's doing. So I call him up, and I'm like, hey, like, you know, can we swing by sometime? Like, I have some friends who I've been talking to you about. And he was like, yeah, come over. So we went into New Haven. And it's like 10 p.m. because we drove from D.C. to New Haven, Connecticut. It's like a nine-hour drive. So we get there, and I'm, I'm telling my friends, like, brace yourself because as soon as we turn the corner, we are going to see people doing drugs. We might get shot. So I was, like, telling them, like, all this stuff, like, for, like, five minutes straight, like, brace yourself. Like, be ready, okay? Don't be shocked by the guy, like, doing drugs on the corner. Don't be, don't be afraid of that guy, like, gambling and, you know, rolling the die, like, on the sidewalk. Like, it's going to be okay. We're going to make it. And we turn the corner and there's no one there. I was like, it's, it's 9 p.m., like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, maybe it's too hot, <laughs> like, because we were in the summer. I was like, I, I don't know what's going on. And so we park, I put the Bible on the car, and we go into his house, and I ask him, I'm like, dude, what happened? Like, where are all the drug dealers? And he said this, I don't know if I'm allowed to claim responsibility for it, but in my heart I already did. So I believe this was something where God's like, you did it, buddy. And I'm like, yeah, I did it. But this is what he said. He said, the week after you guys left, there was a massive FBI raid across the entire neighborhood. And cases against all of the drug dealers and gangbangers finally unlocked in the system. And everyone got locked up. The entire streets were sweet. And like, I was like, Lenny, like, how did that happen? And he looked at me. He was like, worship changes things. I was like, but all we did was sing songs. I was like, worship changes things. And then he said, remember that kid that was sitting there during worship and he looked like ADD? I was like, yeah. He was like, he's walking with us now. Because he said after that, he came up to us and said, that was hot. That was what gripped his heart. <laughs> that something inside of him came alive in the place of worship. And he said, that was hot. I want more of it. That's what changed. Worship changes things. Absolutely changes things. And we are called as worshipers to usher in a new day. I know we talked a lot out front about how a new day and an encounter changes us, but I want to land on this. Us as a worshiping community, as people of God who worship him in spirit and in truth, changes the trajectory of our lives, changes the things that happen around us, changes the hearts of those who are just around us. Amen? Ahop, I mean Ahop, Ihop got it right. <laughs> I'm sure there's an Ahop somewhere, Apple House of Prayer or something like that. But Ihop got it right. When God spoke to Mike Bickle and said there would be day and night worship, and they're, they're seeing people get saved and healed, they got it right. Church, we are called to worship. Amen? We could have the worship team come up. We have crossed, I believe this, when, when God told Mike Bickle that he was going to change the expression of Christianity in one generation, I believe that we have stepped into this new place of worship where the anointing and the measure of his presence is exploding 
So much so that when we look back at what God is doing here and we try to sing songs that God did here, it does nothing here. Because God has taken us into a new place. And we can't look back. We can't look back. I can tell you when I crossed and I tried to sing like Chris Tomlin songs from the 90s, it did nothing for me. Like I tried to sing, how can I keep from singing his praise? It did nothing for me. And I would go to youth retreats and we would sing deep, deep, deep oh down. Deep down in my soul. I love you, Jesus. That did nothing because we are in a new place where God is saying this worship is going to be a new expression and the measure of his presence is going to increase. It's going to increase from glory to glory to glory. We can't go back. We can't go back. We can't go back to what God did 10 years ago in the place of worship. We have to keep moving forward. It's kind of like the Israelites when they were taken out of slavery into the promised land, that transition period where God provided manna every single day. God says, lean on me every day. We can't go back. Let's press on. Let's press forward. There's a promise ahead of us, and he's going to provide his presence, his nurturing, his manna for us every single day. But we can't go back. Amen. So, Father, I thank you. God, we say you're good. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for what you're doing all over the nation. God, today it's the cry of my heart. It's the cry of our hearts, God, that you would show us your glory, God. Show us what you're doing in this nation. Show us what you're doing in our lives. Show us what you're doing in our families, God. Or teach us to be people who worship as a lifestyle. Lead us as people who know you and sing to you because we have seen with our own eyes and experienced with our own hearts that there is no one else for us but you, God. So be with us, God. We love your presence. We are people of your presence. We love you, Lord.